2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Wrestleomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand for Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, June 5th, 2022. And I am joined uh, not by Chris Gullo today. He is uh, in Binghamton, New York, I think, for Excite Wrestling. But joining us instead is Jesse Collings. How's it going? Who's fresh off a plane, correct?
3: Yes. No, I, I, I had a uh, an early morning flight back to Boston. I was down in Virginia for a few days, and I, I'm here. I think you just prom- promoted me as the interim
2: uh, the WrestleNomics co-host. In the interim, you, you have uh, competed in a complicated uh, WrestleNomics Eliminator tournament. You Which came out place, on top. Yeah, it took place down in Rio de Janeiro. Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Uh, you, you overcame uh, a double elimination 13-round tournament. Uh it was you that came out on top. Uh and uh here you are, the interim WrestleNomics co-host. Yes. Are you still with us, Jesse?
3: I don't have a victory. I don't know. I, was, okay. I was I was thinking like, do I have a victory speech? Do I have to <laughs> um to talk about my hype up uh, some sort of future event between me and Chris Gulow um mm-hmm. to become WrestleNomics' full co-host? Will my will my my reign be recognized
2: uh officially by the uh the Commission. Yeah, we'll we'll have to take a vote, and there'll be research and spreadsheets later. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it is it is Sunday, June the fifth, two thousand twenty-two. It is not July. I, I thought about opening the show uh, as a joke, Sunday, July third, two thousand eleven. We're going to talk about the CM Punk pipe bomb promo, how it broke too much kayfabe. Didn't really like it. Um, it it really distorted reality for me, and uh, bad things to come. Uh, but no, we we will talk somewhat. Um, at least somewhat, sorry, about the uh the MJF promo. Uh at least the T V ratings related to it, uh, today. And also and no no not many people have talked about this, uh up to this point that I've I've heard in fact I've heard nobody talk about the Business Insider story that came out this past weekend, I believe Saturday is when it's dated. Uh about W business, about Stephanie McMahon. It's behind a paywall, which is why the aggregators as far as I know, I have not picked this up yet, um, but I have read it, and Jesse, i sent it to him. I think he's read it. Um, we'll talk about that. Yes. And do I do I have anything else in the slides here to uh, to dwell on? Uh, maybe some TV schedule stuff, some A and content discussion, or maybe I have some some information. Uh, so let's uh, let's go through the slides here. Of course, you can throw in a super chat if you want on YouTube if you're listening live. Uh, send in your question or your comment. If it's appropriate, we'll read it and, uh, respond to it. Uh, that is on YouTube. So just get everybody up to speed. If you somehow have not heard already, uh, Maxwell, Jacob Friedman, uh, currently under contract to all elite wrestling. Uh, when we spoke with Golo last week, it was Saturday, it was Sunday morning. Uh, and MJF had, we didn't know whether MJF was going to show up on the paper for Double or nothing that night he did. Um, if uh, if you're just joining the story, there was a fan fest scheduled on Saturday with a number of AEW talents. MJF was one of them who was advertised. He ended up not appearing at that fan fest. Uh, then reports, including from Fightful, that MJF had a ticket. No confirmation on who bought the ticket, but he had a ticket reportedly to leave Las Vegas, where the pay per view was and where the fan fest was. Uh, but Sunday night, he did appear at Double or Nothing. Got squashed by Wardlow in a, in a very long squash. It was about seven minutes where he got very little offense in. Stretcher job, oxygen mask on his face going, going out. Uh, and then Wednesday, AEW Dynamite aired on TBS. 969,000 viewers, uh, including 852 in the demo. Uh, that was AEW's highest total viewership since April, its highest demo since March. Uh, March 23rd, in fact. Um, So, a pretty good rating for Dynamite. It was coming off pay per view. Some of their post pay per view Dynamites have been pretty strong. Uh, This was strong, too. AW advertised that MGF was going to do a promo in the middle of the day, as I recall it, on Wednesday. Uh, They tweeted a graphic saying that he would be speaking. Um, We have quarter hours from that, that I reported that that Thursday, you know, the rating comes out for the Wednesday. TV airings on Thursday, and then later in the day, I believe I reported quarter hours. Uh, I tweeted them. Twitter had a conniption, I think. Uh, maybe, maybe people even beyond Twitter had a conniption because so MJF's segment happened in in quarter hour two. It's about an eight-minute promo, maybe eight and a half-minute promo. It starts in quarter hour two. And the last couple minutes of it flow into quarter hour three. It ends with a you know breaking to commercial as he's swearing or whatever. And I don't know if they want to give the impression that he's being cut off. It goes to black and goes goes to commercial. So cute Q- quarter hour two, where most of the promo happened, uh, that had over a million viewers in it. It was the highest, uh, the, the most viewed quarter hour, both in total viewership and in the demo, uh, six hundred thirteen thousand viewers it averaged in the demo uh which what what is that as a demo rating for showbiz daily fans out there that is that is the equivalent of a 0.47 in the demo for that quarter Uh, so quarter hour two the leader by far of the quarter hours for dynamite on that night quarter hour three though the least viewed in total viewership and among the least viewed uh, in the demo too so ambiguous you can you can take away from that what you want uh, in that maybe people tuned out as it was going on at the very end uh, that seems unlikely but we get the, the minute by minute ratings which i reported on friday uh and the 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 most viewed six minutes of the entire show what we have on the screen right now is just the first well actually what we have on the screen right now is the half hour from eight fifteen to 8 44 uh but the most viewed that the top six most viewed minutes in the demo for dynamite were during MJF's promo. Um, we do see a a bit of a dip as it goes on in total viewership. It starts out, uh, well, it peaks at 1.1 million viewers, 1.123 million viewers. It peaks at about a couple minutes into him speaking. It starts to decline, I would say slightly, and then it grows a little bit at the very end. And then it drops dramatically into the, the ad break. Um, so that's largely what's driving that big difference from Q2 to Q3. Um, any, any thoughts up to, up to this point on, on what we've just reviewed, Jesse?
3: Uh, first thing, I think it's worth pointing out that this was the first Dynamite in quite a long time that did not have competition from the NBA playoffs. True. So in addition to c- coming off of the pay-per-view and Sam Punk winning the title and the NBA playoffs. This was, I think, everyone expected this to be a show that would be up. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, I think the MJF stuff helped, um, but just um, for for the for the sake of analy- analyzing it, it, it's a show that was probably going to be up uh, anyway, based on kind of outside uh, of wrestling trends. For sure. um, what do you think? The minute by minute data. I'm really curious because you know MJF referenced it in his promo. He said he was the second biggest minute by minute ratings mover in the company. What does minute-by-minute minute data actually mean? I assume that there's a lot of noise in those numbers, just like they are with quarter hours, right? There's a million factors that could go into raising a quarter hour or losing a quarter hour, and you'd need a, a lot of um, sample size to probably draw any worthwhile conclusions from it. Minute-by-minute minute would seem to be an exaggerated version of that. Um, and so I'm curious to know, like, are... Television companies, um, executives, you know advertising people, do they really look at minute by minute data? do they care who uh, you know a minute by minute biggest draw is How big would someone have to be comparatively to the rest of their peers to really be extremely valuable as a minute by minute draw like how 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 important is that data really uh, in your opinion
2: i think it 's of particular importance to wrestling because of the nature of wrestling where you've got all these relatively short segments across, in this case, a two-hour program. It's not like an episode of this, I'm going to date myself, but like, it's not like an episode of Friends or whatever regular scripted series where it's really one story across the the, the timeline of, of the show, and you really have to watch all of it or none of it, right? At least more so than wrestling where it's not only not a half-hour show or a one-hour show, it's a pretty long two-hour show. And um and all of these different segments and all these different not really interrelated stories are, are being told throughout throughout the program. Um, so I think it's of particular value to wrestling companies to study minute by minute ratings. Um, I imagine that other kinds of, of TV content look at minute by minute ratings, maybe for other reasons. Maybe just, I mean, you I would rather look at minute-by-minute minute ratings than quarter-hour ratings just because they tell you a more granular story about when people actually tuned out. Um, I, can, I can imagine, like, maybe a, a sports telecast wanting to look at minute-by-minute minute ratings to see how long, you know, what, as the score shifted, you know, as it, it became more of a blowout, did people tune out? I don't know. Um, but I, I, I know for a fact that, WNAW look at minute by minute ratings um, of of um, you know of of at least their own programs and um, I think this is the this is the first time I've ever really there have been other times where I've looked at minute by minute ratings I guess we we had impact I, had, I reported impact quarter hours a while back and I got minute by minute labels I did not get minute by minute data though by labels I mean labeling what, what was in each segment. Um, this is one of the only times that I can recall looking at actual minute by minute data. Um, Chris Harrington has made a few Apple II videos where he has tweeted videos of what appears to be minute by minute data on, onto these sort of multicolored line charts. Um, and I have used an application to like, Based on that image, what what must that data be indicating? And uh, so I've looked at that stuff somewhat, uh, but this is real data uh, from Nielsen. This is not something that I've extracted and extrapolated, you know, based on an image. Um, it was. not so sent haven't... some code to you specifically from Loki. Right there was there, then. There's another time where he like made me look, you know, convert hexadecimal. But anyway, this is in real, regular. Uh, it was uh, It was printed on the back of the Declaration of Independence uh, yes. AW quarter hour viewership. Yes. Yes. So, I and mean, straps uh, Straps, scavenger hunt. Um, well, I, so I, again, I've been out this I, weekend I, for, for some of
3: it, but I wanted to ask you, like, when it comes to viewing the minute by minute viewership, what does this tell you? Because I feel like people have seen the minute by minutes and they'll have yes. their own confirmation bias. If they yes. maybe didn't like the angle, they'll say, up. Oh, look as he was talking people checked out um and conversely people did like the angle look he's the biggest like draw like how you know people were you know tuned in when he started talking yeah what does this kind of tell you specifically like the mjf you know quarter segment
2: yeah and i guess i should add to yes uh, mjf says that he's the second biggest minute minute for a minute as he phrased it, uh, draw in, in AEW. Um, I have no idea because this, again, this is like the only time that I've really looked at Dynamite minute-by-minute minute numbers. Um, so I, I would definitely want to have minute-by-minute minute ratings instead of quarter hours um, because what what I did with this episode, we can look at, we'll um, look at those slides in a second. But what I did here was you could do this, for example. This would be a better way, you know, on on Wednesday, Golo and I are going to have a podcast for patrons. By the way, cheap plug: Patreon.com/slash Wrestlingomics. Where we're going to look at quarter hours and we're going to look at YouTube views and we're going to try to see who are the biggest difference makers, biggest difference makers for for May. And what I would want to do if I had the minute by minute ratings for every episode of wrestling TV, uh, which I don't, is I would want to look at uh, look at it like this. As we're going to show as we are showing on the screen right now, I took every segment of this show, AW Dynamite. Uh, I excluded. The, the parts of the given segments that had ad breaks in them. Because as we can see for an example on the, the previous slide that we were just looking at or the part uh, of the show that included uh, the MJF promo. Uh, there it is. You can see this really dramatic decrease in viewership during the ad break. Uh, that's pretty normal. This was especially aggressive. But this is not that far out of the realm of, of the norm for what happens when there's an ad break on, on the screen. Picture-in-picture uh, picture is not as aggressive, uh, but regular ad breaks are, are more aggressive, as you would imagine. So anyway, I excluded all of the ad time during all of the segments. So if you got a match that went to, went to ad break during it, we have excluded that time. And what I've done here is I've just ranked them. Uh, and I think they are sorted. I think they are, I, think, I don't know that it even matters. I think they are sorted by the demo, but um, I don't think the ranking is any different if you were looking at total viewership. In any case, what did each of these segments average for viewership? And number one is the MGF promo, which averaged 1.078 million viewers, 638,000 in the demo. That's the equivalent of a 0.49 demo rating, uh, followed by the CM Punk six man followed by, I'm sorry, followed by the CM Punk and FTR in-ring promo followed by the CM Punk FTR six man against, uh, the ass boys and, and, and Max Castor, um, so that's how I would want to evaluate. That seems like a, certainly a, a much more ideal way to analyze, quarter, to analyze segments than, than using quarter hours, where quarter hours are just these arbitrary 15-minute blocks of time where you've got segments, uh, other segments happening within, within a quarter hours, multiple segments that have no relation to each other, where you've got segments that, you know, if you were on uh, right after a segment that did especially well, you've got a larger audience, you're going against different TV competition at different times. Uh, sometimes in the case of the MGF promo, you're got a, a given segment that's overlapping multiple quarters. But this is the way that I want want to look at it, is, is to go through the minute by minutes, exclude the the, uh, the ads and you get a cleaner idea. Um, I, I still think that even compared to comparing minute by minute data to YouTube data, I think YouTube data might still be more, more of a clean way to analyze uh, especially if we're getting what I'm doing now is hitting YouTube every hour. So we really, we know what the the movement of those numbers are like over time. Um, was there another question that you, that you added in there, Jesse, that I haven't. Um, I, was gonna, I was going to,
3: I was going to ask, um, do you think it was, I thought I was kind of curious that they, and this is kind of in line with how Tony tends to generally structure the programming uh, of dynamite is that the MJF, was the second segment into the show Uh, as a viewer it felt like to me, like that was the most anticipated segment. I would probably say like, let's put that in at least hour two, because I think a lot of people, and as the quarter hours beer out, I think a lot of people were tuning in to see what he was going to say and to see what he was going to do. There's plenty of buzz about it before the show started. And so I thought, I don't know, throwing it out in the second quarter to me so I don't want to say it's like a waste, but I feel like you could have done. Okay, we did, you know, two quarters that were, you know, over, you know, five hundred and forty million in the key demo and, and over a million total viewers. Could you have done four or five of those quarters if you had, you know, put MJF on at nine o'clock or nine fifteen? Put them in. Yeah. That Raw would put them in the main event. That's what WWE would do. Um, right, but. Uh, I'd have, a, I'd have the, the Cody clock countdown clocks, you know, MJF <laughs> speaks. I'm serious. Like this was the biggest draw that they've had on yeah. television feels like in a while. And I feel like they didn't necessarily maximize it, but I think it has to do with a broader philosophy of how Tony views the structure of his shows, which are, are tend to be front loaded.
2: Yeah. I I mean, I, I agree that there's something to that. Um, I, I seem to remember a uh, similar phenomenon in the during the coincidentally the cm punk and, and mjf uh, feud where a, a lot of their segments would happen early in the show and then you'd see a lot of viewers I, I feel like you you had something that was highly anticipated uh you put it on early in the show you had a section of your audience that was really eager to see that saw it and some of those people just tuned out at that point because they got what they were looking for and they didn't feel like they as urgently had to watch the rest of the show. Uh, and that's what we see here in that it peaks in Q2 and then it goes down greatly in Q3 and it, it never gets, gets back over a million viewers. It never gets back, uh, over much over 500,000, uh, in, in the demo. Um, and then you I can think- say, and this is where people have said, as you, as you were alluding to earlier, you can, you can craft a, a narrative that still looks upon the, uh, the MJF, promo negatively. Uh, in that you can say, if we go back to the minute by minute trend, see all these people tuned in. And then you can even look at the total viewership and say, Hey, p- some people tuned out as the promo went on, they tuned out in large numbers during the ad break, and then they never came back. Um, and I think you can make a similar argument. This is a this is the argument that we hear Uh, about Dynamite. And that Dynamite debuted in October 2019 with 1.4 million viewers. All those people checked out this new product and they never came back. And now Dynamite averages no better than a million viewers. Uh, You could say the same thing about Rampage in Episode 2. All these people came in to check out CM Punk and it it did over 1.1 million viewers. And then all those people never came back. You could say the same thing about the debut of SmackDown on Fox, which did uh, about 3.9 million viewers. It looks like, you know, SmackDown last night uh, did just under 2 million. Uh, And all those people that checked out The Rock on the first episode of SmackDown on Fox, all those people never came back. Then they had the the Christmas episode uh, in Christmas 2020. 3.3 million viewers checked it out after uh, an NFL game, and all those people never came back. Um, I I just think that that's, that's not how... Uh, Peak viewership works here. When something's really anticipated, people tune in to check it out, and then they, then they, don't want to watch the other stuff as eagerly. Um, I think it would be similar to you know looking at a highly viewed, let's say NBA game. Like let's say there's a Warriors versus Lakers game or something on TNT, and it does a, a bigger bigger number than usual for TNT. And then the following game, the next week, isn't as big. You could say, well, well, people must not have liked that that Warriors versus Lakers game. I don't know.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think with sports they kind of tend to naturally grow over time, um, depending on the game, I guess. But in general, they tend to peak in the final few moments and uh, and, and kind of grow gradually. Um, I'm just—it seems like I, I feel like, um, especially since they moved to TBS, that the idea of front-loading the show has has had more appeal uh, to Tony and to the company. CM Punk's almost always in the first or second segment, depending on not if he's wrestling, because the first segment is almost always a wrestling match. And I think that's a big deal um, with the with the bigger lead in coming in off, you know, the Big Bang Theory crowd. You know, let's let's main event. Let's let's have a big match right away. Let's front lo- mm-hmm. front load the shows and then kind of have later stuff, you know, kind of it's I always think it's a theme during dynamite that the first hour there's been a lot of dynamites where the first hour is like, oh this is great. And second hour is clearly inferior to the first hour.
2: Um I don't I don't know quarter hour seven is almost always a women's match that uh doesn't seem to be as 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 highly anticipated as some of the other segments. mm -hmm. Um I think it's a solid brand choice to put a match on in the main event. I don't know that I would argue that a promo should be put on the main event i remember when the, uh, the there was a kenny omega and adam page contract signing for their pay-per-view title match that that their contract signing angle was the last segment on the show and that was i had to ask people is this the first time that dynamite ever ended without a match with a, a segment that was not a match and it was one of the first times that that's ever happened mm-hmm. um, like you said it's a brand choice i think i wouldn't have had a problem with MJF
3: closing the show just because i'm like this is what the people are most anticipating for you know it might be a match one week it might be a promo but whatever people are anticipating the most you put in the main event you want them to stick around throughout the show um but at the same time AEW is you know raging a branding war against wwe and what does wwe do they have a lot of those promo segments in the main event and they certainly have a lot of promos to start the show and AEW really doesn't want to do that um and i understand why because that's something that's associated with wwe and often viewed as kind of a negative especially the the opening of the show being you know the boring 20 minute triple h promo as opposed to it's almost always a match in dynamite i I, I can't recall a time when it wasn't
2: but someone might be able yeah, to remind and, me. and so they they still could have put their john moxley versus Daniel garcia match in the main event but maybe have this open the second hour or go into q quarter hour six or seven um but it yeah,
3: there was a way early. to do it, but they, they clearly chose to, to, to kind of put it early on in the show. Um, I just think with the interests it would have made maybe more sense to do it in the back. But I, I don't know. I, I kind of assume that they have good reasons for thinking like this sometimes.
2: Yeah, um, And I, I was following uh, Google Trends quite a bit around the timing of, of all this. Um, the blue line that you see on the screen here, this is from Google Trends, this is representing web search Uh, This is when this grab was from probably in the middle of, let's see, what day is the third Friday? Uh, And we see, this is back on the weekend where you see Maxwell Jacob Friedman in the blue. His, his web search goes way up. It almost reaches the peak for CM Punk. CM Punk won the AW title on Sunday night. So CM Punk's peak during double or nothing is higher than the peak of, MJF, which is also during the pay per view, but also he's got a peak here on Saturday when the news is breaking about uh, whether or not he's going to appear and, whether, and how he no-showed the um, the meet and greet. Uh, but then on Wednesday, the MJF searches during the promo and right after the promo. I believe this is at ten. The second peak is even bigger. You know, after Dynamite has just gone off the air, uh, as well as in this is. I think this this I got my mouse on this and people can't see it, but there's there's kind of two data points here. Uh, at about the 75 index mark. And then there's another one just under the 100. That's probably nine o'clock. And then this is hourly, by the way. Or maybe it's minutely. No, I think it's hourly. But anyway, there's another one at 10 or 11. Anyway, MJF's peak for web search worldwide is higher than CM Punk's peak back on the on Double or Nothing night. Um, and, it, and MJF stays above anybody else on this chart, which includes CM Punk, Adam Page, Chris Jericho and Paige Van Zandt. Uh, Paige Van Zant searches are very high for. Uh, and then this is continuing on into Friday night, where news starts to get floated that CM Punk has a major announcement on Rampage. Uh, he announces that he's injured. And uh, the CM Punk searches do get back above the MJF searches. Uh, and I think they've, they're have they getting close to, to near each other again. Um, AW has made a choice not to put the, the clip of the MGF promo on YouTube, which undoubtedly would have done massive YouTube views for what that's worth. It's really probably more of a marketing value than it is direct revenue on YouTube. YouTube generates probably, probably about a dollar per thousand mm-hmm. views, roughly. Um, and, and yes, it depends greatly on where those views are coming from, what region of the, of the world. Uh, but so a, a, if it did a million views, which maybe would have done more than that but if it did a million views that's worth about a thousand dollars so on, on an aw scale not a ton of money uh if it did five million views it would have done maybe about five thousand dollars uh in, in revenue uh so they've not put the youtube clip on youtube they've not uh put any other clip of it on their social media i believe they've even removed the the graphic that was advertising his appearance on Dynamite, um, his merchandise, some merchandise has been removed from the shop AEW site. His picture has been removed from the roster page on the website. The as an indie wrestler, that was always a source of uh, drama. When when you notice that your your photo is no longer on the the pro on the uh, the roster page, it means they're not booking you anymore. <laughs> um, And even the press photos that AEW sent out, uh, that they send out for every Dynamite Rampage, and I believe uh, Pay-Per-View also, uh, has no pictures of the MJF promo, um, nor of uh, what happened during the commercial break when CM Punk came out and uh, came to confront MJF, and he jumped the guardrail and left. Um, So, uh, how deeply do you want to talk about the MJF content itself, Jesse? You had a you shared something with me. I don't know if
3: you have the slide on you, but about like the 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 press headlines, the mainstream news headlines coming out of the promo.
2: That was in the uh-huh. slides at one point, but yeah, I, I took it out for whatever reason. There was wasn't a ton. I like I I I think there was. There's New York as, as far as mainstream stuff as far, as far as stuff that doesn't cover wrestling all the time, and and um, New York Post does cover wrestling pretty regularly with. Um, Joe S. I forget. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Um, and uh Sports Illustrated, I imagine, was a Justin Brasso article. But yeah.
1: mm-hmm.
2: there's um, but the kind of talking about
3: like it does seem like the general public. I know from people in my own life who are, you know, maybe casual wrestling fans or WWE fans. Have, have you really? checked in with your, your casual wrestling fan? Uh, I have wrestling? not. I have not checked in with my casual wrestling fan, but I've seen other people talking and you know they're really into the idea of the work shoot promo they like the idea of someone that you know the new york post headline was like it's the best of professional wrestling that blurs the line between real and and, and fake yeah um the interesting thing to me about that kind of analysis and like oh the, the promo you know what was real what was fake what's going on here um to me to me and, and presumably to you brandon and many of the people listening to this when he came out and he cut that promo that was confirmation to me that this was all a work or at least most of it was at work, right? There was a lot more speculation about MJF's real status in AEW before he came out and caught a promo on Dynamite, which clearly in some way shape or form had to have been approved by Tony Khan. And it gave off the impression that these are two sides that are working together creatively, which was not the case over the weekend where people were, the speculation was that they were not working together creatively and there was, you know, are they going to have the match on Sunday? And, and after the match on Sunday, you know, is MJF done? Are we going to see him again? Um, but this, you know, I, I just find the the, the kind of... It's, it's interesting to me to see the speculations is, is now people are, are now really worked up about it when, for me at least, the whole promo was actually a confirmation that the lines are not blurred. This is very clearly one thing as opposed to, you know, a mystery, which which the company, to their credit, has tried very hard As we we talked about pulling the stuff from, you know, pulling his merch, not pushing on social media, the company has clearly tried to convince people as much as possible that it is real, which any good wrestling company should be trying to do anyway, because that's your content.
2: I guess I I think that as far as what, what here is legitimate dispute and conflict between MJF and AEW and what's now... Very much a cooperative storyline. W- where's the line between that? I think the line between that is on Sunday. Um, I, sh- I have no information about that. Uh, nobody's told me anything. Uh, I, th- I think I tend to think that he legitimately no showed the the Saturday meet and greet. Um, I've asked. I haven't, I haven't gotten a response to to say whether or not that's the case. I think I think he legitimately no showed the meet and greet. I hope so. I, I hope that AEW did not advertise something that they knew they weren't going to deliver um, for, for people who are paying money to participate in, in the, the fan fest to meet and greet um, and I don't know about the rest of it I mean was MJF working the dirt sheets I, I don't know I, I I do believe that Sean Rossap went to a, a lot of effort to verify with additional sources the information that he was getting um, but he MJF clearly made it to the show made it to the match put over Wardlow, in a pretty strong way. Some of the problem here is that this big, long feud that was su- supposed to put over Wardlow quite strongly. Um, in a, in a sense, they did everything right. But now MGF is such a big star coming off of this that Wardlow does feel like an afterthought. Uh, that's happening. He did have him do the promo. MGF do the promo. He did mention right right off the, the bat that he's in a lot of pain. Uh, but he but well, he was structured out. <laughs> three, three days earlier, um, but yeah, I but I, I think I think it's an interesting choice to, I think it's an interesting choice to, I, I guess, by interesting I, I don't I don't really understand the the thought process between not putting the YouTube clip on, not promoting what happened. I think you can make a I don't I don't think it. You're not convincing any. I don't, I, I don't think you're like. Uh, there, there's still a justification within the storyline to say, well. Why, why did we put – you know it, this, the same justification that you would have to use to explain why he was put on the air on Wednesday night anyway, which is, uh, well, we'll give him a, a chance to be out there, and we kind of view him as a star, and, and he's good for the business. So that would justify as well why you would put his – why you would put a clip of the, of the YouTube video on there and so forth. Um, it's quite an investment to, to do all these other things like take his merchandise down, which – I, I almost wonder if that's a, li- a legitimate stuff to take to penalize him <laughs> to, so that he, he doesn't make merchandise royalties or something um but yeah uh, go ahead. i mean you could you could get away by just saying we don't censor our talents they we
3: gave them promo time and they you know what they say is what they say, and you could easily spin that as that um to me the 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 actual the long term you you mentioned the word low kind of this kind of overshadowing. Wardlow's push. I mean, to me, it's like if the idea is that Wardlow was going to become a bigger star than MJF coming off of that match, that wasn't ever going to happen. MJF's a way more polished performer. He's got way more notoriety. Even though I think Wardlow has improved a lot and that the successful completion of his angle where he finally got his revenge on MJF helped him further along that journey, he's not going to be a star the caliber of MJF. He's probably never going to be that star. Um, says more, to me, it says more about MJF than it does about Wardlow, so I don't have that big of a problem with it. I think him not selling the injury and and people like I think that's kind of like those things that people complain about because it's some sort of breaking of traditional mold. Um, but ultimately, like if you really think about it, like doesn't really matter. Like oh, now I believe wrestling is fake because MJF didn't wear a neck brace during his promo. It's like it's not really gonna that gonna change you know anything from a business standpoint that he didn't sell the 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 injury enough um so i'm kind of dismissive of that i think as a fan i just to me i liked his performance in the promo but i ultimately wonder and i think this is true for the entire angle where is the actual on-screen conflict and what is the resolution to it um you know, he, in his promo, he alluded to feuding with Tony Khan. You know, Tony Khan doesn't want to pay me; he just wants to pay these WWE guys. It's all about, you know, Tony Khan and by proxy AEW as a company and as an organization. And to me, it's like, well, who's he going to feud? Like, how, what does this le- MJF needs to have a match now? Who's he gonna? Who's he gonna actually wrestle in the ring? I Tony's not an on-screen character.
2: I have zero interest in seeing him be an on-screen character i think a lot of people I that are AEW fans i would be would shocked agree. if i I've, I've seen discussion about well this, is, does this mean that tony's going to become an on-screen character and become a you know an on-screen authority figure i would be shocked if that was the case and i don't think that would go well at all if that was the case And a lot of people a lot of people like i said the casual
3: fans or people who who are wwe fans they just assume he's going to become vince mcmahon they say oh now tony's going to be the evil authority figure because and that's kind of a Uh, indictment of what those fans know and what they have been taught over the last few decades with wwe is that's their go-to storyline
2: um and and there's wrestling history beyond that of nearly every executive top you know promoter of a major of of a a wrestling company has had some sort of on-screen role even if you know eventually dixie carter had one uh Mm -hmm. lawler uh i guess jim crockett didn't really but but dusty certainly did right uh yeah they had somebody who was on screen that that would that would represent management, even if they weren't actually. Greg Ganya, but, uh yeah. Um, but but there's all, all there's, that, there's a lot, and, and I'm sure I'm sure Tony has studied that history. We've seen some I, what I what I view to be some some breaks in 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 not in not taking care of of not repeating history in terms of some of the the promos that he's done with Tony Schiavone during the Impact period, and that one angle that he did, I believe, on Dark, where he did come out and, and order. A match. To, I forget what the angle was. People probably know what I'm talking about. Where he came out on dark and he, and he grabbed the microphone, and people have have made memes out of the face that he's making during it. But yeah, Yeah, well, he he's been on screen before. You know, he came out obviously the
3: Brody Lee show. Um, yeah, the the, the he, he came he out just, for the New walk, Japan. Just walked the
2: heart out to the to the ring
3: or out to the stage anyway on the pay per view. Yeah. He came out for the New Japan announcement where he kind of like is gonna. He says like one thing and then Jay White comes out and interrupts him and he just kind of has mm-hmm. like a. Used to look, on his face, um, but yeah, I don't like. To me, like I don't think it's going to. You have people are, are fascinated by the promo. It was a very good performance by MJF as a performer. In the long term, where is your conflict? Where is your money drawing feud? What are people going to be interested in
2: week to week? Now
3: that you like, have kind of, I their destination. Momentum?
2: I think their destination was to go to Punk, which, as indicated by what happened during the commercial break. That they knew people would film on their phone and put on social mm-hmm. media where Punk comes out and confronts him. Now it has emerged that Punk is injured, which, you know, I don't think they were anticipating. Or were they? Or is that part of the work, too? I, I yeah, guess that's it, part
3: of It's all part. Now the title will somehow, interim title will somehow find its way around the waist of MGPF. Um Or Hiroki Goto. Yeah, I think, I think they're probably both. Um, uh, it's one of those things that I think is, like, I, I get it's really interesting. You got people talking... Fundamentally, I hope that they have a plan to translate that kind of momentum and discussion into a program a professional wrestling program. because um, I just don't care that much about the the workshoot promo, I enjoy the content and the performance of it, but I don't ultimately care that much about like a guy who's like, Oh, is he shooting? Is it real? That's not entertaining to me as a fan that much. Like I don't I don't get the kind of kick kick and joy that I think the New York Post writer got out of it that's just me personally. Some other people will just, I kind of just want to see guys wrestle and, and, and and not try to fool me as much or not try Mm. to, you know, just, you know, tear at the fabric of, of the, the, the ridiculousness that is a professional wrestling show and kind of present it to me more straight. But that's, that's, that that might just be my personal preference. I think other people might, might might disagree with that.
2: I I think a lot of why this promo is divisive with, viewers and fans. And, and I would say, just to clear it up, generally, I, th- I think the, po- the reaction to this is largely, re- is largely positive. But there are some people who didn't like it. Definitely. Um, I think well, some
3: people are scarred by the, the experiences that other companies have done with the work shoot promos.
2: Absolutely. There's been no shortage of, of Vince Russo era, for example, work shoot garbage that was for one thing, not followed up well on. And that I, I, I think You know, broke the fourth wall much more aggressively than this promo did, which I didn't. I mean, I watched it live as it was on on television, and I I didn't feel that it was breaking the fourth wall or breaking kayfabe. Uh, Other people have felt other people felt that it did because he said things like, why? Because I'm not reckless. Is that why you don't like me? Because I don't drop people on their heads, which I I feel he can justify in a kayfabe way. But yeah, he's a
3: he's a jerk and and his character is uh, he's a jerk. And and so some people are like, oh, he said these things that, you know, that that some people think are true. Or some people who don't like the product are true, and it's like, yeah, his character is he's a bad guy, and he's gonna make up things, he's gonna exaggerate things, he's gonna lie, uh, he's gonna be like, you know, oh well, he he's mad that WWE people made more money, get signed and make more money than him, and it's like that, that's a that's a true thing, and it's like, but his character is that he's an asshole, so. Like he's not like necessarily the good guy, He's stretching the truth and all these kind of things, but I, I don't know, maybe it was a little too cerebral for some people.
2: Yeah, um, we're, we're getting deep into content analysis on wrestling, so we'll we we'll do a couple more minutes on this.
3: There's not enough content analysis podcasts for wrestling, though, Brandon. Don't you think? Yeah, we're gonna rebrand this show. I want to rebrand this show as a as a WWE Attitude Era uh, retrospective podcast. That that's a cool. niche that will that no one is filling.
2: Absolutely. Um, but I think part of the reason part of the reason why this was divisive is because it reminds people of really bad work shoots in the past but another reason I think it, it is divisive is because as wrestling has changed over the decades there's there's become less mystery about what wrestling is I think that's manifest in when you watch old wrestling when you watch wrestling from the 80s for example Everyone remarks about how, wow, the crowds were, were way hotter back then. And I think that's in large part because there was more mystery. And yes, there, like the, the wrestling move technology back then was not what it is today, and people had not seen the things that they have seen today. But also part of it is that there was a mystery about what they were seeing, what was real, what was not. No, I don't think that people sat in the seats and thought they were seeing shoot fights, but I do think people had just a lack of certainty about what they were seeing, or maybe they thought certain matches were real and certain people were real. And there's none of that today because we've seen all sorts of things that, that tell us otherwise. Um, so in light of that, there's almost like this crisis of faith with people in terms of understanding what heat is or what heat should accomplish. And this is where, where we have a lot of our debates about whether X, Y, and Z is going too far to try to get heat and, why things like racist angles and, and are, are are not why in my view racist angles are not a good idea uh in wrestling it's not an effective way to get heat that is good for business um but some people will argue otherwise um i i think the solution to this is very simple it's it is a
3: conundrum in the sense that Uh, A largely educated wrestling fan base is always going to respond well to high-quality work. And MJF is a high-quality performer. So you're always going to have people who are going to enjoy him. They're going to get excited to see him. That might be even applaud something that he says because his performance is so good. But MJF has really – despite his fantastic performances throughout his his tenure in AEW – He's never really been a babyface before. He's never gotten cheered against really anybody. Why is that? It's because he's faced babyfaces that people like and that people respect. I think we live in a world where WWE has done such a bad job with their babyfaces over the years that people naturally end up liking the heels because the heels are somewhat more likable than the babyfaces or they're certainly more interesting than the babyfaces. But when MJF is wrestling CM Punk or he's wrestling Wardlow, he's not – getting cheered in his few those feuds even though he was brilliant in them because the fans like the baby faces enough that mjf can get heat in that kind of old-fashioned way without overshadowing his his partner or whoever he happens to be working with but i think because just wwe's been so bad at that a lot of people have a hard time grasping that like everyone seems to think that like you have a great heel and that you make a great baby face using that heel heat but it's more of a balance. You have to have a really good baby face to kind of enhance the heel heat, um, in that way. Right. Um,
2: we have a super chat. Um, I, see. I, 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 see. We'll, we'll, yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, no, you're, you're, you're fine. Um, I guess what, 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 before we get to the super chat, we could leave it on the screen. Um, I, I've, I've said before, and I think this is, is, is true still, <laughs> that if wrestling is going to have a significant growth in business, if a wrestling company is going to, you know, I don't want to go so far as to say have another boom era, but if a wrestling company is going to have significantly more popularity and economic success than it it has currently, whether that's AEW or WWE, I think it's going to be on the back of of a star who has never been a main eventer yet. Um, I guess I see CM Punk since the fall summer of 2021 is done some positive things uh, for, for AEW. Um, so that's somewhat, that's significant, right? I guess I'm imagining something a little bit more than that, though. Um, and this this is the first moment where I felt like it's pretty clear who that person could be. Uh, yes, you have the pillars that people look at as potential future stars uh, who have potential, but this, now the, you know, the the, the blurry vision is, is becoming sharper in terms of who who a new top star could be who could really help their business. Um, okay. Chicken pom pom says <laughs> from there, looking historically on the matter of work, shoot and entertainment, did the CM punk pipe bomb promo see an increase in ratings on the back of that, that momentum. So I actually, actually have something related to that. And then we can look at the ratings also for raw, uh, during that time. But what, what I have here is the Google Trends uh, in 2011 for CM Punk uh, in the blue here on the screen. In the background, just for reference to, to get us some frame of reference about how, how, how much people were searching for CM Punk, we got a, an orange line or yellowish line that represents John Cena during the same timeline. This is running from March 15th 2011 through I think this is actually November 30th 2011. And uh, this is daily data these are daily data points and we see this massive peak the day after the pipe bomb promo uh, we see another peak right after the money in the bank match um and then we do see i guess the, the, my takeaway from this is that it, it did re- for what this is worth it did result in a sustained increase for web search related to cm punk not nearly as high still as john cena's sustained web search trends but higher okay but that's not tv ratings tv ratings we will look at here on the actual wrestle a viewership spreadsheet that you can get access to at patreon.com slash russellomics and I, I think the answer chicken pom-pom is gonna be no uh, it did not coincide with a an increase in viewership uh, the pipe bomb promo so the pipe bomb promo is is what date again because I have it on here uh, it is the 27th of June the, the pipe bomb is th- 27th of June I'm pretty sure right because I looked this up to, to label no this you're right you're right chart the money in the bank is definitely July uh, mm-hmm. but anyway uh, so if we scroll, let me put this back on the screen. If we scroll to, actually, why don't I hide these columns so maybe we can see this a little bit clearer. What I have here highlighted is the column P2. That's total viewership in thousands. Uh, raw, of course, doing, doing four or five, six million viewers sometimes in 2011. Um, so what we have is, this is the pipe bomb promo episode. 4.85 million viewers, 4.85, uh, the next episode that he's not on, right? Cause he doesn't appear again until money in the bank, I believe, uh, does 3.7, 3.6, uh, the pay-per-view after, is that correct? After, no, this would be right before. And actually what we're looking at is each hour, but that's, that's fine. Right. Big difference here between, no, I'm looking at different episodes, but big difference here. Like for so this is the, the episode right after money in the bank. Uh, I don't have it on the screen. There we go. Right after Money in the Bank, we have hour one doing 5.98 million viewers. Hour two, these are in reverse order. Sorry about that. Hour two, hour one doing 4.7. Hour two doing almost 6 million viewers. Um, Four million viewers. But if we scroll, what we definitely don't see is like uh, being in the range, say of June of four to five million viewers, we don't see it get dramatically higher. Right, If anything, going into the fall, we get, a, we get an episode on September 12th, probably against the first NFL game, I would guess, uh, under $4 million. Um, So no real difference in viewership. Uh, certainly not, not, not a positive difference. Um, I do think that it made CM Punk a bigger star, and that helped your brand overall. He probably sold a lot of merchandise during that time. We don't have any data to back that up, but that's, I think that's the general consensus takeaway. You also have to, you also have to kind of look, go
3: back and look at as good as the pipe bomb promo was, and as good as the main event, the Money in the Bank, you know, match and subsequent angle was at first. WWE probably didn't capitalize on that from a creative standpoint the way that they probably could have, and perhaps MJF and, and AEW can capitalize on this in a way that maybe WWE uh, did not. I've, I've I've seen that kind of same argument. Someone mentioned that this MJF. Promo remind them of a, a promo that Vince Russo did in, in TNA in, in 2003, and it's, you know, that never drew anything for TNA. And it's like, well, you know, Vince Russo is not MJF as a performer, uh, and <laughs> Tony Khan is not Vince Russo as a booker. So, I think Hopefully. everything. I think all of these kind of have to be viewed as a vacuum of, of how well they can be. I don't think a ceiling can really be put on them just because they happen to contain somewhat of the same elements.
2: But it's I I understand. I mean, wrestling fans are traumatized understandably from Yes, i I was
3: listening to Wrestling Observer radio and, and you know, Brian, you know, who's done the the, the death the, w, wrote the death of the WCW book and has done all the the the, the watch along audios and stuff like that is is traumatized by this and uh I don't know, I don't I don't necessarily think it's illogical, but I think we can look at each scenario in a case by case
2: example. And and a, and a big problem with a lot of those WCW shoots worksheet whatever is that they were at the locker room uh is that happening here in AEW's case that's the key um, point i think to to, to this is what and, is and kind of let's that. talk about why why that's a problem uh because it it breaks the trust relationship between the wrestlers the talent and management um and that's not a good thing uh so is that happening here i i don't know um
3: wrestlers who are they, often paranoid in already yes about their pushes and about information and, and all of that.
2: Yeah, who's and and in a way played. Keller is, is, is talking to talent and saying that he, he's hearing from people in the AW locker room who are, who are, questioning whether Max was now working them when he was telling them things that he ended up saying in a promo. Um, I don't, we have, I, a, I can't a, really, we have yeah. another super chat. Louis says, "Can we empirically calculate how much TK's momentum, or how much TK's commitment to the work, is costing him through AdSense, merchandise, etc.? Is it a worthwhile sacrifice?" Um, and as we talked about, if we're talking about YouTube ad revenue, um, again, let's let's be aggressive and say that clip would have done five million views by now. Well, that, that's about $5,000 that they're out of. Um, but, but you could say, well, there's more because that would have been – there would have been a great marketing value in that and getting that, that content distributed and people sharing that and perhaps the, the assistance that that would have in, in driving people to engage with AEW in other ways. Um, there's something to that. Um, merchandise is MJF a big merchandise seller? I, I I don't know. I mean, we don't don't really have any data about merchandise, but it's certainly he would have sold some more shirts following this promo and then this increase in interest. Um, is this the
3: kind of angle
2: that would lead to a lot of merchandise sales? I, I don't know. I like does, does MJF have shirts? Like certainly he does have something because he was on the shop and now he's not. He sells um, he sells those you can buy an MJF scarf for sure. Buy a scarf. Yeah. Um
3: he uh the thing is, we don't know eventually how much money this angle is going to generate for AW. If MJF and CM Punk does three hundred thousand pay per view buys at all out, um, you know that maybe that is worth you know whatever money he's punting on 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 merchandise or yeah. you know if that helps convince people that the angle is bigger if by by not pushing the merchandise and those kind of things um, that helps maybe. Uh, some Warner Brothers Discovery executive who was at Dynamite uh, on Wednesday. Ah, that was a great angle. You know, here is what she alluded to on in your the promo, show now. By the way. What? Which you alluded
2: to in the promo, by the way. Yeah,
3: yeah. So, so we don't know how valuable. We might not ever know how valuable uh, the show, the the angle ultimately ends up being for for AEW. Um, only that we don't know exactly what where it's going to take us.
2: And and just quickly on on the subject of working the locker room. Um, I have been part of a promotion at one point, on, on obviously an extremely smaller scale, where the locker room was worked on something. Uh, can I describe it here? I, I mean, it, 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 involving names that you know almost no one would, would recognize. But um, there was, there was a, a, a situation once where supposedly the champion would not drop the title. Uh, so they told him that they were going to do a DQ finish that night for his title match. Uh, at some point in the match, the referee counted one, two, three, really fast, gave everybody an impression that it was a, a legitimate uh, screw job, a legitimate double cross. He, the, the, the champion uh, stormed into the locker room, s- knocked really hard on the, on the booker and the promoter's door who locked himself in the door, grabbed his suitcase, and we, we could all see him from, from the upstairs locker room from the window, get into his car, slam the car door really shut and then speed off out of the parking lot. It was like one of the most dramatic and scariest moments that I've been a part of in a a locker room. Um, come to find out a show or two later, he does this big return angle and cuts this long promo. Uh, and then one of the bookers admits to the, to the locker room and sort of a meeting afterward that, yeah, it was a, it was a work and, uh, apologies if you're offended. And, uh, I was not happy about that, <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, I'm sure that I'm sure that angle drew a lot of money for the promotion too, like. and and the like the the attendance the next show was even lower than it was and right it, like it didn't pay off for anybody, uh, but yeah and then that company's no, <laughs> no longer running so anyway uh, yeah well, we, well I just put on, on the on the screen here this is a line chart charting the raw viewership from. Oh, roughly June to December of 2011, and it's when that
3: CM Punk John Cena angle, you know, finally paid off with the the way everyone wanted to,
2: which was Triple H versus Kevin Nash in a ladder match. Absolutely, because because Kevin Kevin Nash is a bigger star, and you can recognize him in an airport, uh, and that's the end of that. And and what the the trend is, it's a slightly down to the right, slightly slightly down to the right trend, but it's also going into NFL season which you'd expect
3: there's also much broader trends going on with wwe's overall popularity and other wrestlers you know producing their schedules and fading away and and not being other stars not having capitalized on this it's hard to look at things like that and say especially cm punk one and say well it worked It didn't work did this it didn't do this because of the variables and i'm sure we'll look like that with mjf too we might be able to see massive growth that shows obvious um signs of of success, but we already can tell by the minute-by-minute things people are debating about whether or not it was, some people will say it was very successful and some people will say it's not successful, look at, you know, how many people tuned out, so.
2: Okay. I think we're done with MJF analysis. Yes. Wait, no, no, we, have, we have still have more actually. We have still have one more mention at least of, uh, of MJF. Um, we're going to go over a couple things from the media scrum after double or nothing on Sunday night. Actually, this is te- at least on the East coast. This was uh, Monday morning uh, yeah, as, yeah. as Tony Khan did a two and a half hour media scrum in Las Vegas, <laughs> a very energized Tony Khan, uh, where he he was asked uh, by Nick Housman of, of Wrestling Inc. Uh, about MJF. And I think we, we, the audio will include uh, that clip, and it's right here.
3: Uh, I'll ask you what literally everybody wants me to ask you, which is, from your perspective, what happened with MJF this weekend? I'm not going to comment on that, uh, but I've got a lot of stuff on the pay-per-view I can comment
2: on, but I'm not going to comment on that. So there you go he he wouldn't comment on it, and uh you know respectfully, politely uh the wrestling media it comes did not in follow some up notes all dropped that are interesting. respectfully, politely the uh the wrestling media did not follow up on that uh because you know the, the wrestling media's job is to be friendly to to people in wrestling, so understandably they did not follow up on that. I agree, jesse
3: yeah I've, I've talked about this with some other people um this past week when it comes to the kind of press conference my take on it is that like you said like your job as a as a media member is to uh, some people say like oh it's your job to make him uncomfortable and you got to ask him the hard questions and it's your job to make him squirm that's not exactly how i would describe it i would say it's your job to get information that is interesting to your readers and for the help the websites that are you either run yourself or are being paid to to cover and as, as Nick says in that conversation, you know, I'm going to ask you the question that everyone wants to know. It's the biggest story that anyone was ever talking about that weekend. I'm sure everyone wanted it, more MJF information. And Tony's response at first is, I don't really see anything wrong with Tony's response. He just says, I'm not going to respond to that. But someone else needed to follow up and say, ask him again and, ask, and get something a little bit more substantial out of him. Uh, even if it's something like, Look, we know what happened between me and Max is is a it's a personal issue. I don't I'm not going to comment on it any further. Just it's a it's a personal issue, and we you know that that and I'm going to leave it at that. Something to make it, uh, you know, give him a little more substance. He's just like I'm not going to talk about it, and everyone else was like okay, and they you know went on to ask other questions to with about all of the great things that he really wanted to talk about. Um,
2: I just thought it was. I, th- I think uh, Rich from VOW has made the point – this is a good point – that he, he could have asked, OK, you don't comment on it, but can you, can you tell us why at least? And maybe that would have led to information.
3: Yeah. I mean you want – if you're a journalist, you want to get information out of Tony. Get him to say something that you can then use as part of your story and your coverage of this. Um, and if Tony, – it's Tony's job as the promoter who's having this press conference and as, as the guy who owns the company who is answering questions from the media – to find a way to artfully you know, answer, respond to those questions that you're being peppered with in a way that protects your business. It's not the media's job to expose you know, the company. If you're going to have these media scrums, you have to be open to being asked those questions. Even if you, over and over again, even if you're like, I can't talk about it, I can't talk about it, I can't talk about it, that's fine, but the fact that he wasn't pressured to it um, I think was disappointing. I we, I've, I, don't know if I talked about it on this show before. Or we talked about it personally. It's, in general, I'm disappointed by the conduct of the wrestling media and these press scrums. I wish it was uh, a little bit more professional. And it's very unlike press scrums and, and other media. How, how is it different? Describe
2: for people who may not be familiar.
3: Just the attitudes... Um, of people when they're when they're asking the questions and when they're even when they're talking it's people really like to give their opinion about something usually in a positive way before they ask the question which is like i thought this angle was really great you know what did you think you know that kind of you know okay well we don't really care about your opinion of an angle if you're asking a question you're trying to get this information out of somebody um ask the question yourself if I'm interviewing a politician or I've I've been in media scrums where I'm talking to a state senator, a senator, a governor. No one's like, hey, governor, I love your program with, you know, for 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 free school lunches. Um, Why was that such a great idea? Um, That's just not how you would conduct yourself in a professional environment. And I I get that these people are probably really happy that they're getting to do the press conference and they like to think of themselves as being friends with the promoters and the talent but just overall I find like the applause when people would enter I'm um, like imagine going to a, a like a, a, a the NBA Finals right they have a press conference after every game there's a lot of media there the Celtics just won game one on, on on Thursday night like if Al Horford comes out the media that covers the Celtics is not all applauding him for his good performance it's just you know weird forms of conduct that I I find unique to the media that covers professional wrestling and probably stems from them not having a lot of experience
2: at this or not. And and this has not really existed for very long. Um,
3: This kind of setting doesn't because WWE,
2: because WWE doesn't have press conferences like this
3: and press scrums like this. Um, So I just, I just find it in general, like an, an and we, you can talk about Tony's conduct during the meeting where or during the Scrum where he just kind of kept talking on and on and on and on. And it felt kind of unorganized and it felt like a bunch of people that were having a friendly podcast with Tony Khan and not working to get information that their readers would care about. Maybe they, maybe they did. I'm not
2: running these sites, so maybe they got all the information that they really wanted, but I'm sure I I will say he was much looser and more willing to talk about things in in an unreserved manner in this set. (laughs) There was a lot of potential there. He was very uh, on, on the call before the the pay per view.
3: Oh yes, yes. Before I'm just talking about like when he was talking, you know, and he was just talking a mile a minute. Like I watched this. Um, did you did you um see the? Uh, I think it's Richard Dice, the athletic reporter. He had Tony yes. on his podcast, his media podcast. That, yes, yes. So I listened to that podcast. And Dice kind of brings up, you know, Eric Bischoff and the kind of show and conversations he has with Conrad
2: on on his shows and that kind of thing. And Tony do, is do, super. Do, like, do, you, do you listen to Richard's show often? I, I listen to it now and then. I listen, I, I, I probably listen,
3: I've listened to it before. He's clearly a wrestling fan, and in fact, yeah, he and, and, he he does and, kind of as you know, ironically, as I was just getting done saying that. This is about the wrestling media. He does, you know, like Tony and says a lot of positive things about him. He, he
2: he flatters guests a lot, which is, yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I well, there's I, plenty I've of podcasts been... that do that. Like, you know, but, uh, but my point was that he's, he asked him a question about Eric Bischoff and, he, and Tony's so diplomatic about it. He says, right. you know, Eric had tremendous success and Eric is entitled to his opinion and he's had, you know, this incredible experience in his career running a wrestling company. He's so, pause about it and then in this press conference someone at brings up you know the eric bischoff cm punk um you know cm punk was, a, was the biggest flop in, in wrestling history or whatever eric ended up saying and tony spends like a minute just ranting about how wrong that is and has all these you know numbers about all the success that cm punk has and just, just his attitude is totally different he's ready to fight he looked like he was ready to 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 to, to you know
2: he, he got he got mad at at uh the question almost uh he really cut a promo i yeah and i I sense that they're more i sense that they're more careful about press and aggregator news that they generate before a pay-per-view and i sense that there's less less concern about that after the pay-per-view is done and i think he's like on a high and exhilarated after after the pay-per-view is over with yes there's a there's a there's a um a factor especially a pay-per-view that comes across really well
3: um i'd be interested you know but he was very, you know, he was ready. I think he was ready to talk. I would have asked him if I was there for two and a half hours. I would have, I would have asked him like um, more questions about MJF. Maybe an hour after he said he wasn't going to talk because he seemed to loosen up as the show went on, or as the scrum went on. He might have been able to get mm-hmm. something else out of him. But I, I don't want to come across as too harsh because I know people are, all, these people are, are, are in general doing their best. Um, I just, I just wish it was better. And, and coming from a a non-wrestling media background. I think the contrast between the way wrestling media has chosen to conduct these press scrums is, is very different than, than if we're covering a politician or we're covering a big company or or sports or anything like that.
2: Yeah. And I guess the stakes are certainly lower than politics. Um, but but it's also it's comparable to sports, I would say. Right? I mean, the stakes are lower than politics, but everything is lower than politics.
3: But if you're covering a, I in my attitude is like you're covering. Okay, well, we're not, you know, CNN or we're not um, Politico or, or someone who's you know on Capitol Hill covering something. Um, so, but but you're 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 if you're a wrestling news site or a newsletter or something like that. Yeah. Okay. You're you're not you're not. The stakes aren't important. We're not talking about the freedom of the free world, or the security of the free world, or or natural disasters, or anything like that. You're making your your career, and you're making money off of wrestling information. So you should take that pretty seriously, just the way anyone else takes it seriously. And I I think they do take it seriously. I just think that that's for some of the media members, the definition of you know professional conduct in the setting is different than mine, coming from a, a background
2: where. You know that's we're not covering wrestling news. We're covering other yeah. things, and I think there's a huge tension between partly because this is new, but also there's a tension between protecting relationships with people and actually gathering information. Yeah. Well, and I
3: also thought things like like so, so, so. Sean Ross had some scoops during the weekend, right? About the MJF scenario. Um, you know, he had the plane ticket. He had some some other information for Sean. If if he's sitting there in the in the press scrum and I don't know if he was there, but he probably he, was. He was not there, but yeah, no, he wasn't there. People, other people from Fightful were there, but he was not. Yes, um, okay, because yeah, I was gonna say I don't remember him here in question, but I would imagine that he did. But be Will there. Washington but anyway. from Fightful was there. A lot yeah. of other people from wrestling news sites were there. If you're if you're but if you're Sean right, and you're I'm, I'm thinking competitively from a media atmosphere. If I feel like I can get the scoop myself from what's really going on, there's no benefit to me pressing him in the press conference or trying to get the information in the press scrum because then everyone can get that Sean if Sean's like hey you know what about this MJF situation and and Tony tells everyone in wrestling media what the situation is that doesn't really help Sean at all but if he thinks that he can get the scoop himself and put it behind his paywall that's him just thinking like a businessman and, and being like okay well why would I get this information in public when I can get it privately uh and I know Dave asked about MJ. I think he, and Dave did ask, a, a, he asked Tony like, oh, will we ever see MJF again? And, and Tony said, I can't comment on it. But, um, but for the people that are kind of getting scoops, I can understand in a press conference setting, not pressing
2: him. But I get that. that that's among the things that I would struggle with is like, well, isn't what, you know, what's the higher priority here? Like getting information that will help generate, help me generate revenue. For instance, getting a, you know, a news story separately away from the rest of the media so that I can put it behind my paywall or is it, is it higher priority to just get that information out there and let people be informed? Maybe there'll be some side effects benefit for me, but what's the higher priority there? What should be the higher priority there? It's, it's an ethical quandary ethically.
3: You should say, I want him on the record in front of everyone saying this and saying this information because my job is to present the truth. But all of these people are business people to an extent, whether they work for a site or they run the site themselves or the newsletter themselves. And so you might say, I'm sure it, you can say, um, yeah, I, I want to, to get the information myself, you know, maybe privately, because I'll be able to achieve greater financial revenue um, from it. And I don't know. Journalists are kind of a job where sometimes people will openly criticize you for wanting to get more money uh, or wanting money, period. So I can understand. I I, I I side, you know, with the, the people who like if Sean, if it, again I'm projecting a lot. I ha- I don't know Sean at all, but if just using him as an example, like I would side with him and be like, yeah, if I feel like I can get the information myself and it'll benefit me, if I've got this really important exclusive scoop, I'm not going to ask in front of everybody. If I feel like my rela- relation, my information is reliable and I can confirm it, and it's not like something that was made up to me and it, I'm going to look stupid and it's going to be disinformation that's different but if I feel like I can get a reliable scoop and put it behind my paywall I'd much rather do that than, than to get it out in the open for everyone um, info, news information isn't free it really mm-hmm. you know maybe it, that, it should be
2: for you know for subsidi if you're subsidized by something but it's not the business I, I I have struggles with stuff like that and stuff like how hard should I promote this patreon which which is the link is up above here and like should I your brand Information like the minute by minute ratings, for example, nobody had that. I had that, and I reported it. Like, should should I be promoting it and like calling it exclusive in all caps and and things like that? But I think that that reflects on onto a brand that there's a desperation here for you to give me money so that I make money and and I look look at all these these spectacular things that I have as opposed to I just want to tell you a clear story about what what the information is and what the truth is Um, yeah i'm not going to sensationalize things i mean it all depends we you know in
3: in in the news world you often if there's information that's considered critical for public safety for instance that stuff will go out behind a a, without if there's a paywall it goes out you know above the paywall so everyone can see it we um my news organization when we were doing things with the pandemic and reporting, you know, COVID statistics and stuff like that. We weren't forcing people to pay to see the COVID statistics or anything because it was considered a general public safety um, thing. And and so, so obviously you're not going to ethically charge people to access that kind of information, but for everything, for anything else, I mean, as a working reporter, you know, is my information, you know, my information is going to be good and relevant to people's public lives. I hope so. But I am working. I am, this is my career. I'm not doing it for free. Other people don't do their careers for free. Um, this happens a lot when stuff gets paywalled. I, uh, a personal story, like four or five months ago, you know, I, I published something on social media uh, from, from my company. Cause part of our job is to pub- was to publish things on, on social media. And people in the comment section would say, why do I have to pay for this? This should be free. And it's like, well, I spent hours talking to people, gathering reliable information, crafting into a narrative that's easy to read and, and understandable for everybody. Um, this is my job. I'm paid by my company to do this. Why would this be free? The same way that if you were to order a hamburger, why would the hamburger be free? Like, <laughs> like no, But people, for some reason, a lot of times, and a lot of it's because the internet news has, has conditioned people to expect this information to be for free, and Twitter has conditioned people to expect this information to be free. People have a hard time paying for it. Before the internet, if you wanted wrestling scoops, you had to buy a magazine or subscribe to a newsletter, all things that cost money. You didn't just get it for free.
2: Yeah, but um, we're ever more, not, not not to lament young people, but like, we're ever more living in a world where people just weren't born at the time that that was you know, happening. Um, CJ128 asks us, uh, if that same reporter pool had a press conference with Vince McMahon, do you think the tone would be the same? Thank you in advance, thanks.
3: Um, I don't. I don't presume to know what in each individual reporter in that pool feels about Vince McMahon. Um, so I don't really want to comment on anyone specifically in that pool. I think in the wrestling media, there's a lot of rev, uh, reverence for Vince McMahon, uh, and and you could see maybe in the reaction to the Pat McAfee podcast, which yes, a lot of people said was amazing. Later. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I would say that. Um, I would say yes. If, just to give a general thing, but again, I don't know what each individual reporter feels about Vince McMahon or the kind of questions that they would ask him, but I would say in general the attitude would be the same, which would be like, I want Vince McMahon to like me and and to to, to have a, a positive
2: relationship with him. I, I think among some people it, w- it wouldn't be as friendly, uh, or it would be more, maybe aggressive isn't the right word, but, but more assertive because AEW has a better trust relationship with Fans generally, and, and by extension of that, the media, than than WWE does. WWE is also has more power in, in, in the world, in the wrestling world, than AEW does. Not that AEW doesn't have a lot of power and influence; they do, um, but you know, WWE has more. And um, I would and also say that, in particular, Tony, never never talks to the media in an open forum. And
3: and I would say that Tony probably has a level, some level of personal relationship with a lot of the people that were in. That media pool, as opposed to Vince McMahon, who probably has a personal relationship with zero of them, or maybe one or two. It's not Vince. Um, Vince did not grow up as a DVD V R message board poster, right? Sure. And Vince is not DMing people on Twitter. I wish he would, though. Imagine getting a DM from Vince McMahon.
2: Yeah. I, I think about that every day <laughs> at two, 30, at, at 2 30 in the morning. And he's, I, I, I check my DMS, you know, at, every day at, at 4, at 4 PM, hoping he'll send me a DM, uh, trying, trying to spin the ratings to me. You have another uh, super chat here. We have okay. another super chat from Galenny, Lenny, uh, who asks, uh, it seemed like the biggest question would have been about WBD negotiations. No one asked that separately. Do we know how scrum invites are given out? Um, I, I've never participated in one of these scrum, one of these in person scrums. I've maybe in the future I will. Um, I've participated in the, in the in the conference call scrums, um, and I I, I, I asked EWPR at one point whether they were going to do another conference call s- scrum after the, the after the Revolution pay per view. They said they were only going to be doing it in person, but they were glad to credential me if I was going to be there in person in Orlando. Um, I don't know why they've why they're willing to deal with me, and I don't know how easy it is to get access. But you know, if you're doing stuff in wrestling media, and maybe if you seem to come off like a responsible person, uh, you can get access. Um, I think just by requesting it, and I, I'm sure they're being judicious with how with who they're giving access to and who they're not.
3: Um, you can get so I don't know. I've never been in a press conference. I have had my tickets comped. Uh, for AW events, as a member of the wrestling media, before you um, file, you can file a request with them saying, you know, I work with this organization. They will ask what you know what kind of traffic you generate for for your show, so you can't just make it up. They'll ask for editors or or managers or whoever to maybe confirm with them. Uh, so they so that happens. I assume it's similar to getting invited to the Scrum. Is is if you get uh, a media comp for the pay-per-view you will um get invited to the scrum as well maybe it doesn't work like that I, I can't quite confirm i assume that most of the people that are attending the scrums are pretty are at most of the scrums it's it's if you watch them it's it's a lot of the same people a lot of names that you know we're familiar with it's, it's nick houseman it's people from fightful it's denise salcedo it's it's Meltzer. like you know it's it's a lot of the people that you would know um uh, I know that they have changed um, their media relations. So the, the comps used to be, I think, internal and has gone to a third party. And the third party system is a little bit more um, critical of who they're giving out comps to. Because I've had comps accepted and I've also had comps denied. Um, For AEW? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and I've heard that, that, that they've really cracked down on on who they're letting in. I'm going to
2: try again. Um, so this is a comp to, to also be... a a member of the media at the show, or just yes. like a comp? Because so, so was this like in Boston? Yes, I got comped once to go to the the Dynamite in
3: Boston, the the second Dynamite in Boston, which was in I want to say October of twenty twenty one, and then they did another one in Feb- February March, and they said that was that was denied.
2: Um, but there was no scrum was, or anything as part of it.
3: There's that, no right? scrum. No, there's no scrum. I'm assuming I'm I'm kind of projecting here. I'm assuming that if you get your media comp, you were invited to the scrum. Maybe was you're not. No, maybe it's was, more. Was selective. it like a media
2: press box or they just gave you like a
3: they sat, seat. It was actually really cool. They sat us in the um they sat us in like near the hard camp setup, so they have a section. Um I was at the show, um, some other people from the media that are that are local people. I sat next to Josh Nason, um okay. of, of, of F4W. Um, Justin Barrasso from Sports Illustrated, who's from Boston, was there. There are other people like that were I presume comps that were maybe not media people, but were comps for other reasons. Uh, Drew, Drew Cordero was there from from Beyond. Um, some other uh, independent wrestling people were there. Um, another guy from the Observer from uh, the the Observer website was there. I can't remember his name. Uh, Mike Mike Delacam Mike Delacarmen Mike Delacameron. He was there um so just boston people um were, were there um and they they sit you and you you just watch the show and presumably you're covering it you know i was i was doing stuff for wrestling Inc. i was shooting i was live tweeting from what we were seeing in the arena i was passing on rampage spoilers off camera notes that kind of thing i assume a lot of people are doing those things and that was that was comped once for me and then uh not comped when i tried again i'm gonna try again for the show in worcester but i think i'm gonna use it'll be interesting It'll be a test maybe i shouldn't admit this on air but i will be using my shoot job credentials as opposed to the wrestling media credentials because i think they'll they'll favor me more if they think i'm mainstream i'm gonna i'm gonna be covering for mainstream air press which is true because it's gonna
2: be in worcester is closer to my coverage area than the boston show so are you gonna get an article in in your in your local publication about AEW? we'll see what my editor says Right. You have to be there first, though, to see if you can – I I will have to –
3: I I have no means of getting there if my ticket is not a – Honestly, like, I could pay for the ticket. It's a really – like, uh, it's a really fun experience. Like, when does the wrestling media hang out with each other in public? I had never met Josh before in my life, um, but I happened to sit next to him. We talked – we had a great conversation for three hours. I think it strengthens the wrestling media a lot by having that kind of experience by – like combining them together and them to watch the show. You know, the, the episode of Dynamite was really good, so that obviously helps. It was the the Halloween episode where they they were in the Ghostbusters costumes and Hangman Page was in the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Um, I mean, that, that's that's how that's how that's my experience. You know, being a media member and credentialed, I haven't been part of the scrums. I'm sure other people have talked about it on their various podcasts being a part
2: of it. But um, yeah, i thought about going to. I've discussed this. Vaguely, with, with Gullo maybe going to the Rochester Dynamite on July 5th, I think it is. Uh, maybe we'll do that. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm always hesitant to – this is a good, good conversation. I'm always hesitant, hesitant to talk too much about wrestling media itself because I guess I'm part of wrestling media now. And uh, But I'm glad to have have Jesse weigh in. Um, so.
3: Yeah, so, so if
2: people get mad, they'll get mad at me. Yes. Yes, you're my shield. Um, pay-per-view buys. I don't have any information to add about pay-per-view buys, but we do have this clip uh, from Tony Khan uh, saying that Double or Nothing did better than the previous Double or Nothing.
3: So this is the record for Double or Nothing. All four, all of our pay-per-views continue the streak. All of the pay-per-view franchises have been up year over year. All out, every all out's been higher than the year before. Every full gear has been higher than the year before. Every revolution has been higher than the year before. Now for the fourth
2: Double or Nothing. Based on digital buys, I can safely project this is the all-time high for Double or Nothing. So they get digital buys, I imagine, instantly, uh, because it was sold through Bleacher Report and sold through Fight internationally. Um, More, not without a struggle. Oh, more, more on that in a moment. Um, The the traditional pay per view buys take, I I understand, months to really finalize. Um, The Revolution pay per view, I always struggle with how to phrase this. The Revolution pay per view did, I believe, around 164,000 buys. There's an re- observer report from shortly after, maybe a week or two after Revolution, that put the range at, I believe, 146 to 170,000. 146 170. 170. Um, it's been indicated to me that it, it landed in the upper area of that range, probably somewhere around 164,000. I was not told that directly, that number, but that's what I surmise. Um, so, what did what did the Double or Nothing pay per view do? If it did better than a, than the last Double or Nothing, that means it did better than one hundred and fifteen thousand buys. Um, I would uh, I've, I've discovered lately through through Google Trends that if you look at the the two days after an AEW pay per view, uh, you, you do see a pretty strong relationship between at least what I believe the buys have been and what the Web searches like, after that, and it, it it would appear to land if we look. This is the worldwide measurement. This is the U.S. measurement. It would appear to have landed. That would be 125. This would land it at about 130. Uh, who knows if this will hold? But 100 and especially considering the Bleacher Report issues. But 125 to 130, based on web searches, where this model would predict the buys landed. That said. I I have been charged twice for this pay per view, so I want everyone to take that into account. When whenever you hear the pay per view buys reports, that I was charged, that I I account for two buys, because I still haven't gotten a refund. This is my customer service complaints segment. I've still not. I've I've attempted through Bleacher Report customer service to get a refund, but I have paid one hundred dollars to, to watch this pay per view. Uh, I, I don't know if you if you had any any struggles, Jesse, but I I had to try for. I was just over overwhelmed. I. Years. I but thankfully I had to try for a, it. Took me thirty minutes to finally buy yeah,
3: this paper. Well, I, I thankfully was not tried twice, charged twice for it. But I attempted to buy it many times for, and just it was a variety of issues. It wasn't just one thing. It was it wouldn't let me log into my Bleacher Report account first. Then it wouldn't let me click on like the buy pay per view yeah. um, button. Then it wouldn't accept my debit card. Then it wouldn't accept my credit card um and it was it took a while i would say probably until um 7:50 eastern time so like 10 minutes before the show started did i actually able to get the show um up and running so that was my only that and to be fair that's actually been my only negative experience with future report i've been gen- generally pretty impressed how easy it has been to use and how the quality of the stream that i've been able to get for for all of AEW's pay-per-views but and it was, you know, everyone, it wasn't just me and you, Brandon. Everyone was talking about it yeah. and reporting it. And they even
2: said, I think on the broadcast, on the pre-show. At the very uh, end of the buy-in, Tony Schiavone said that Bleacher Report is back up and running. So yeah, they, so they said, you know, said, they, you they know, felt know like we've had they issues. need to acknowledge there. it. And after that happened, it did seem like I didn't see any more complaints
3: about it. So it did seem yeah. like there was a bug that they needed to fix. Um, it's bad timing for AEW Uh so he, he Tony usually gives alludes to the pay per view number in the um, press conference in the press scrum.
2: Does he? Uh, this pretty is the first time, time I've ever ever heard him, I recall him, him doing that.
3: Oh no! I he's he's definitely said it before. He definitely has said okay. um, things like, "This is our biggest paper." I think he said we've done our biggest paper ever. I think he said we did more than last year. Show. I feel like he's definitely commented on it before. To the point that I think you could probably see. Like, I don't know if he's ever like lied about it or he's ever been inaccurate. So, um, I I would assume just if your if your assumption is correct um, based on the Google data analysis, your your guesstimate on that end is, I would say that would be kind of disappointing,
2: given the growth the company has had over the past year. Um, it would be lower than either full gear or revolution if it only and this had was, 130
3: and this was CM Punk winning your title for the first time which is something that he can mm-hmm. only do once although perhaps he will try to win it again for the first time uh, again but uh, as, as part of the interims the battle of of the interim champion but um, it, it was this would also you know you have the bleacher report issues which if you're being charged twice, maybe it inflates the number as opposed to to deflates it. Um, but I think maybe some people who are on the fence stop buying it. Um, he was competing with the the uh, game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals, so there was heavy sports competition um, on the same night to the degree that, that Tony decided the show should be f- you know forty hours long. So um, I'd love to know that data. I'd love to know that data analysis. The people who bought the pay-per-view for like the, just the main event and like bought it at like twelve thirty a.m. Eastern time.
2: We don't have the, the audio of this, but he does mention that he saw that they saw late buys. He was expressing that, that that strategy was successful. He doesn't quantify it or anything like that, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, he, he did. No, it was successful. If and, they sold
3: one. It was successful. Like in that, in that regard, it's about the long-term idea of, having a very long pay-per-view and if that turns away people from, from watching it, I think, uh, you know, UFC, right? Like UFC and boxing, they'll do that a lot because their main event will be on last and they'll get pay-per-view buys well after the undercard has been underway. And in the case of boxing, oftentimes all people care about is that main event. Right. And I think that's, that's, that's true for a lot of UFC shows too, like, especially the bigger ones. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, but I would say wrestling's different. You have a complete card. You you, you don't have kind of forgettable bouts on, on AEW pay-per-views. So, um, ECE,
2: I mean, you, like you said, he
3: seemed positive on it, but it was definitely a,
2: a choice. Mm-hmm. So, we'll go to the Business Insider talk about uh, WWE. This is a headline from... Business Insider behind their paywall. The headline uh, is WB shakes up leadership as it targets $100 million in sponsorship and brand revenue with an eye to matching UFC success. Um, I'm going to read an an excerpt of this and in the middle of it, we will go to a a clip that the article references, which is a quote from Vince with Pat McAfee back in March. Um, So I'm going to read. Read for a minute here. Um, after both NBC and Fox had boasted of their W programming at, at their upfronts, Stephanie McMahon shared on Twitter that she was taking a leave of absence to focus on her family. In March, McMahon's husband, Paul Levesque, who is a wrestler known as Triple H, suffered a heart attack and retired from the ring, although he remains on the staff with some light duties, uh, which is interesting that they say light duties. Uh, another top executive, Claudine Lillian, who was hired a year ago by McMahon as head of global sales and partnerships confirmed she is leaving the company. Uh, pause. That's the f- first I've heard of that, that Claudine Lillian is no longer with WE. Claudine Lillian was at least important enough to be included in some, some mainstream press uh, with quotes from her along with Stephanie McMahon, uh, particularly in ad Week, I believe she was quoted in um, and she was somebody who I was aware of uh, in, in, as I I think she took over John Brody's job, I I would guess. Um, But she seemed to be somebody clearly aligned with Stephanie, and this article indicates that she was hired by Stephanie. Uh, Continuing on, McMahon, who is both an on-air talent as well as a popular executive responsible for advertising and sponsorships, is being replaced in her corporate role as part of a shakeup, executed by her father, Vince McMahon, the organization's 76-year-old CEO. Her purview also has included marketing, brand, business, and creative services, along with community and entertainment relations. Uh, back in March, Vince McMahon gave an interview on the Pat McAfee show, where he says, "This we'll play the clip." I don't think about it a lot. Um, hopefully, you, if this you is, built, so- I, I should set this up. He's being. This is the part where he's being asked by Pat McAfee. Um, Pat McAfee mentions the TV series Succession and whether what, what, whether he thinks about what W will be like afterwards and whether that even bothers him that people have that conversation. So here's, here's Vince's answer to that question from Pat.
0: Uh, No, I I don't think about it a lot.
2: Um, Hopefully you, if you built something, hopefully you want it to continue on, you know, and prosper and grow, whether that's with a family member, because my view is the business is, is best for everybody, you know, and whether you're a part of it or you're not a part of it. And you have to treat it as such. You have to be objective, you know, and look at family members, whoever it is, just like you would other employees. And quite frankly, I probably have expected more, you know, out of my family members, which is probably not the right thing. <laughs> uh, but um, but uh, really, That's uh, going to be a big deal right there, what you just said. You know that, though, but, but nonetheless, it's like um, you have to do the right thing for the business. So if this person is not working out, then they shouldn't be a part of the company. So that's the quote. Uh, The article continues on, his views were echoed by other insiders at WWE, quote, family or not, we've got to get the right people in place, end quote, said one company insider, adding that there's only one person in charge, and that's Vince McMahon. WWE is currently interviewing candidates to fill Stephanie's role and grow the company's brand and sponsorship deals. WWE raked in close to $20 million in advertising revenue in the first three months of the year. While while ad sales are executed by programming partners, including NBCU's USA Network and Peacock, as well as Fox and A&E, WWE has a goal of generating $100 million annually via brand partnerships with an eye on the success of Endeavor-owned UFC in the space. On a November earnings call, Stephanie McMahon spoke about WWE's potential in the brand and sponsorship arena, she said, quote, there is no reason by in the next three to five years, we couldn't be in the hundreds of millions of dollars, And quote, that she's talking about the, the amount of revenue that they would be generating in advertising. Uh, quote, we weren't seeing that growth, end quote, said the company insider of Stephanie McMahon's tenure. When someone is moved out of a company, it's usually the result of something not working. We took stronger control of that a few months ago. So some... Anonymized quotes there from what business insider phrases is a company insider uh, saying, I guess want to read part of that quote again, family or not, we've got to have the right people in place. Uh, we weren't seeing that growth from from Stephanie's department. And when someone is moved out of the company, it's usually a result <coughs> of something not working. We took stronger, stronger control of that a few months ago. Um, it's. After reading this, it's harder to imagine her coming back to W. E. at least in the same role, uh, as as she was when she took this leave of absence, which is Chief Brand Officer, and they've taken out Claudine Lillian, who she seemed to be closely aligned with, what often happens when an executive is removed. The people who they hired are also removed. Uh, So, you know, this is... uh, the outlook doesn't look better after reading this article for Stephanie and WWE.
0: I still think there's
3: there's a lot of, I think I thought reading the article, it seems like there's still a fair amount of projection here unless t- like, as far as what actually happened with Stephanie, um, we don't really know, you know, she was not publicly fired. She was not let go. She said she was t- stepping down from her duties and almost in a way of taking a leave of absence and, WWE released which is a statement. how
2: it was phrased: leave, leave of absence.
3: Yeah, and I WWE released Twitter. a statement saying, you know, her job will be here when she's waiting to come back. Now, WWE has um, released a
2: statement. They did. They did release that. As, as far as I know, they've they've made no public statement beyond Stephanie's own statement. Ooh. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Maybe I'm conflating Stephanie's uh, statement as a like the second half of that with Stephanie's. Uh, I mean, I, I, I've talked to. WMU relations about this other than that I've heard no official statement from, from WB um. but while you're looking that up I thought it was intriguing too that Paul Levesque is, is said to be he remains at WB, at the WB staff with some light duties seeming to indicate that he's, he's not working with the same load as he was before and certainly I, I'm, I'm told that he's not Back in Orlando, and he's not continuing to oversee NXT, mm-hmm. which well, I think, surprisingly had, um, had a had a non takeover special last night.
3: <laughs> I think with the with with that, so we don't. I still don't really know. We don't 100 know why Stephanie left. Um, the presumption, at least in this article, is that she wasn't cutting it in the job, and Vince ousted her. That hasn't been reported by anyone else in wrestling media. Um, right. to my knowledge no one has been able to confirm um, the typical well-sourced people have not been able to confirm that you know Vince is always unhappy with her performance and therefore she is gone or Nick Khan convinced Vince to fire her or whatever the, the, the speculation that people have had about it um, this is the first and the language that's used in this article that it was an ouster led by Vince McMahon um, that would be news to, to everyone and um, I'm kind of a little bit skeptical that that's exactly what happened because it's not explicitly laid out in the article. It's, I think there's still some projection that's happening from that end. And they got an anonymous quote from insider. I'm sure there's somebody that there are people there who weren't satisfied with, with Stephanie's work. I think, um, you know, she has a role because of nepotism. That's, I don't think anyone would deny that. I think if you're looking at coming in from the corporate world, you would, you know, ask you know what is this person's actual true qualifications for this this lucrative executive position? Um, you know, Vince has the quote from the Pat McAfee show. Like again, I think you can take that in a couple different contexts. When he says, "You know, I expect more. I've expected more from my family." Does that mean he's disappointed in his family's output? In as far as WWE, or he's held them to a higher standard because he expects more out of them. I think that's unclear too. I'd also say that anything Vince said in that Pat McAfee po- podcast uh, can be can be you know taken with a grain of salt. But I'm still not 100 percent sure. I think un- we don't really know why she left, and I think there's still some speculation and projection that comes from that to think that this was a uh, Stephanie was really bad at her job, Vince got really mad and fired her. I don't know. Are you are you um, more
2: confident that's what happened? I, I'm more inclined to to believe that to believe what this says, I guess. Um It's not without the realm it's
3: it's not outside the realm of possibility. We've seen how the man has treated Shane McMahon. I think there's a lot of I, I never was impressed by Stephanie in this role, but I'm not an advertising executive, so that's you know, she's not working to impress me, but
2: it's it, it's we're reading a bit into what's what Vince said in the Pat McAfee interview, but it is consistent with what he said in the Pat McAfee interview. You have to do the right things for business. If the person isn't working out, they shouldn't be a part of the company. And that's in the context of him talking about family members. I remember remarking on, on this program at the time that if, if I heard that, if I was Stephanie, I'd be pissed. And, and like, what have I done wrong? Um, because clearly he's had issues with Shane, you know, what, 12 years ago, and he's appeared to have, have issues with Paul Levesque uh, after NXT did not become a, a media rights a uh, valuable uh, media rights branded to not beat Dynamite in the ratings. Uh, but what, in what ways has Stephanie been a disappointment to the same degree? Uh, but maybe there was something already happening in that regard uh, at, at that time. Um, and I could see a Nikon, Nikon regime thinking that under his leadership, which by the way, that's who's taking over her duties, at least in the interim, Nikon. Uh, many of her duties. That's what that's what W Media Relations told me. I could see a Nikon regime thinking that they they could do a better job appealing to brands and driving greater ad revenue.
3: Well, you would think that's they could get someone who's maybe more qualified for it. You know, I don't. You might not. You must know more about this because to me, I was I'm not really clear on what Stephanie's job really was. Okay, she's Chief Branding Officer was her official title. I always kind of got the impression that she was someone that would be um, some sort of corporate public representation of the company. She'd be on the media calls. They would she would talk about their strategy and articles. She could get featured in the you know top women executives you know magazine profile or whatever. Um, but was she really in the trenches negotiating advertising deals? Was she really um, the person who was talking with their corporate? Sponsors and doing all that, or how much of her job is is was was the real behind the scenes work, and how much of it was the public perception of the company? I always, I think I said it a couple last time I was on the show. I've always been unimpressed with like things Stephanie said, and they can definitely say from a public perception of the company, she could do a better job, and they could get somebody who could do a better job represent the company. I think Nick Khan does a better job representing the company when he gives you know interviews and things like that, but. I'd be curious, like, what is is Stephanie really responsible for these negotiations that haven't maybe lived up to the standard, or is that are those other people who are behind the scenes who are who are who are, you know, wield more actual power in those negotiations as opposed to Stephanie, who's somewhat of a figurehead because her last name is McMahon.
2: I, I would think she's at least overseeing the people who are doing the nego- negotiations for
4: ad
3: deals,
2: mm-hmm. for for which would which would consist of what Um the things the 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 ads that you see during premium live events that, that have W talent in them and things like that. Um but yeah. Uh so she got fired for the Pizza Hut Battle Royal is what you're telling me. Must must have been that. Yeah, maybe zombie. Yeah, the, the, the zombie battle royal has finally come to roost. Um so that, that that's that one unless you have anything else to add. No. And and we'll move to Uh, just to uh, run through this real quick because we're pushing up against two hours here Uh, the NBA Finals, which the the NBA playoffs have done tremendous ratings up to this point, Uh, apparently the the game one of the NBA Finals, which was on Thursday uh, that was a disappointment in terms of ratings, and I know there's a lot of confusion about what the ratings really were though, because the Fast fast Affiliates or the Fast Nationals were accidentally released too early I haven't been following it closely, but I see some chatter about that on Twitter Um, there was a game, there is a game two tonight are you a Celtics fan? Yes. Okay. So, so Celtics are up one to nothing against the the Golden State Warriors. Uh, but on Wednesday, Game Three will happen. Uh, it starts at nine. So the second half of Dynamite will go head to head with the NBA Finals uh, on Friday. It starts at nine. Game Four will go head to head with the second half of SmackDown. I'm not sure whether or not Rampage is going to air at ten this week or or earlier. I think it depends on the NHL playoffs. Uh, game 5, if, if it's not a clean sweep by by the Celtics, will go against the last two hours of Raw. Uh, and that, that is going to be it for the NBA Finals because the 19th is, I believe, a Sunday if it goes to a Game 7. That's correct. Um, but the NHL f- uh, playoffs were in the conference finals, I think, for the NHL uh, mm-hmm. playoffs. Dynamite will also be going against... Uh, it says time to be announced, but if it's at 8, these other games... This other Avalanche and Oilers game was at 8. So if it's at 8 again uh, this coming Wednesday, that will also go head-to-head with Dynamite. Uh, so Dynamite could get killed. It's it going to be a great opportunity for people to say, I mean, look, everybody got turned off by the MJF segment. The, the rating was lower.
3: Right. Um, that's, the, that's a big that's a big element when we're talking about like, oh, well, this draw in long-term, Or we're analyzing the minute-by-minute data. I'm sure next week they're not going to do a 4.40. If they did, it would be a miracle. And people can make their assumptions from
2: that. But. Uh, so Dynamite probably going against an NHL game and the finals on Wednesday. Uh, that, that should not say NXT. That's Thursday. Uh, going against Impact and probably just Impact or maybe, uh, maybe New Japan also. Uh, Friday, SmackDown will go against an NHL game, the Avalanche and the Oilers, as well as as well as the NBA final game if it's during prime time which I think it would be I guess is Edmonton in the Edmonton's not in the Pacific time zone right is it in the mountain time zone
3: um I'm not sure about uh, both of these Canadians
2: certainly certainly I'm, Colorado avalanches yes I'm not
3: sure if I'm honestly not sure if Canadian time zones are the same as American time zones unilaterally but given Edmonton's location on the in the in the geographic portion of North America, which should be in the Mountain Time Zone or the Central Time Zone,
2: but probably the Mountain One. It's like north of Montana. Yeah. So, and then NXT next week. Not this coming Tuesday, but next Tuesday might go against the Game 7 in the NHL. Uh, so there's that. A&E. Uh, there was an announcement about, about the A&E content uh, for the W A and e content. Um, that's coming up. They're going to be doing not just biography series. They're going to be doing they had nine listed in the press release. I've I've learned that there are supposed to be ten uh, biography episodes. Um, I've not reported this elsewhere, so this is like the first that I'm saying this. Um, but they're going to be doing biography episodes, I believe, at eight. They're going to be doing W rivals after the the two hour biography, and then they're going to be doing. Uh, it's not talking smack. I, sh- I should have the uh, the press release in front of me, but I don't. Um, they'll be doing three and a half hours on Sunday night, three and a half hours of, uh, of W content uh, on Annie in conjunction with the biographies. Um, so we know that I've, I've got a, a schedule. This is a tentative schedule. This has already changed once since I, uh, mm-hmm. since I first saw it, but it looks like they're going to do uh, the first episode on the undertaker. The second episode on Goldberg, the third episode on the Bella Twins, then on Kurt Angle, then on Lex Luger. Everyone's been waiting for that uh, Lex Luger uh, biography to come out on Peacock. We've sort of been speculating here that maybe uh, it'll it'll just be saved for A and E, and lo and behold, it has been saved for A and E. Um, so that's what's happening there. And then there's going to be a DX. Biography, Edge, Rey Mysterio, uh, WrestleMania 1, and, and a yet to be confirmed subject, uh, where the series will end on September 11th. So this will run through July 10th to September 11th. Um, so this was, would be all inside all inside Q3, right? because Q2 ends June 30th, and then Q3 begins July 1st through September 30th. So all this A/E content will be recognized in the third quarter. And it'll probably get reported in the other media segments within W's revenue reporting. Um, it's, I would think, several million dollars of revenue here. Um, and they're also doing these Rivals episodes that are, are in, in almost every case, uh, are related to, to, uh, to the biography episode. Which people can see on the screen. They're going to do a a Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels Rivals episode, Undertaker and Kane, Rock and Austin, Angle and Lesnar, WWE versus WCW, Mick Foley versus Triple H, Edge versus John Cena, Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero, and Stephanie McMahon versus Brie Bella. Um, Stephanie McMahon versus Brie Bella was not a part of the press release. I don't know if they just didn't want to mention Stephanie McMahon for some reason at this time. I had originally heard that the Iron Sheik, there's supposed to be an Iron Sheik biography a part of this. I think PW Insider, as I was. Googling around back in March reported that there was an Iron Sheik uh, biography that was being worked on. Um, maybe that's what, what happens on, on these, the September 11th episode. I don't know. Um, maybe they don't want to air Iron Sheik content for some reason, but there you go.
3: I think um, Nick Khan in, his, in the media calls and um, when he's being interviewed on podcasts and when they're doing the investors' calls, um, he often talks about things like how can WWE continue to expand um, its source of revenue? How can it continue to expand its role as a content provider um, beyond your wrestling shows, beyond Raw and beyond SmackDown? And they want to be like Marvel and, and that kind of talk. And these are the kind of deals I feel like that are, are the ones that are coming from that, which is we're we're leveraging our, our IP um, with a new media partner, which is A&E, which I want to say is a Viacom company. It is. Um, it's not. Is, is in, A&E. Um, I'm pretty sure. it is. pretty sure it's not it's with, definitely not owned by. It's not with by, you know one of their. It's not with M.
2: Yeah is but it's not
3: with NBCU, and it's not with um, Fox.
2: As I do a quick Google search here, A owners are listed as the Walt Disney Company, NBC Universal, and Hearst Corporation. Each own fifty percent. Okay, well, I guess a, and Walt Disney Company is what Wikipedia yeah. says with a footnote coming from coming from something. <laughs>
3: But it's a new, it's a new network. It's a new. It's not. It's not like these are airing on USA, or they're not airing as part of a Peacock package. It's a new deal for them. Again, using their IP to produce content. Um, I, obviously, they did the A&E biographies. Was it last year that they aired um, yes. those ones. They apparently must have done well enough for them to now jumping in with both. You know, two feet in with with now the dual programs, is the is the Booker T Peter Rosenberg show um, going to be
2: on A and E? Yeah, Smack Talk. Uh, to clarify what I was saying earlier, at eight o'clock p.m. Eastern, there'll be a, the two hour biography. There'll be W Rivals, which will be a one hour program at ten, and then there'll be a I think this is a half hour program WWE Smack Talk, featuring W legend Booker T Hot 90s. 97- 97 and ESPN host Peter Rosenberg and WWE host Jackie Redmond. Each half-hour episode breaks the biggest moment, breaks down the biggest moments from each Sunday night's episode of uh, Legends and Rivals.
3: So we're seeing the kind of amount of content that WWE can provide um in, in this would be a, like a really big example I think of what Nikon's talking about as far as expanding WWE's ability to produce content beyond just here is our weekly wrestling show. Um I as a just a general fan of wrestling, I I think that these they these A and E shows can attract a different audience. I would get um like my mom being like, Oh I was flipping channels the other night and I came across like this Roddy Piper special and wow you know what a crazy life he had. Um so I do think you can kind of catch people outside of the wrestling bubble. I think a lot of the people that they're featuring this go around that aren't main there are basically not characters from the 80s have less mainstream cachet with your typical uh you know channel surfing viewers which are going to be older people like my parents and people who maybe remember the 80s mainstream names but wouldn't know who goldberg
2: or edge are and they have some attitude era stuff here, but so I guess the Undertaker they're kicking the series off with, which is probably the one they feel strongest about, mm-hmm. um, and DX. But but a lot of a lot of these names are their peak in popularity would be in the mid two thousands, right? And mm-hmm. Angle is there for the latter half of of the attitude era, but right. It seems like we're uh,
3: shifting from WWE as company in general. We're shifting away from nostalgia from the eighties, and we're we're kind of phasing some of that. They're kind of phasing some of that out of their programming with the idea of nostalgia from the the ruthless aggression era or, or the, the brand
2: split era. Um, so what I have here on the screen is that uh, these are the, this is the viewership for the biography episodes last year, which ran from April to, to the very early part of June. And this first episode, which I believe is the Austin episode did over a million viewers, about a half a million in the demo. Uh, they, they put it over, I believe on the earnings call as the most viewed biography episode in, in years. Uh, I, I'm sure they put a specific number of viewers on it, but it was, it, it appears to have been quite successful, uh, this, mm-hmm. this run of biographies. I don't know how it compared compare it to other biographies. You could dig into this, the showbiz data and find out, but it, it appears to have done pretty well.
3: And they're running during the summertime, which is not always a um, competitive te- television market. It's a, it's a time for WWE to kind of be able to step in and provide this, this kind of programming to a, comp- to a network like, like A&E. Um, as a and As a fan, I get, I get a little concerned about these Because they reach other audiences, again, it's WWE's interpretation of historical events will now have another chance to be spread beyond your typical Raw and SmackDown
2: viewers. Say. Um, They're going to do the I, WrestleMania I, I 1 special. It's going to the WrestleMania 1 biography uh, on how Vince Van took wrestling out of the smoke-filled rooms and into the glitz and glamour of pop culture. Is that really what it says? Or did you no, make I, that up? Because no, 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 but that's what they—that's uh, that, their narrative. That's the story they like. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah.
3: We know what they're going to say about a lot of things. Um, <laughs> I'm sure the the X one will be will be in particular very interesting to watch. Um, or the Stephanie McMahon pre Bella one because I honestly couldn't tell you a single
2: thing about that feud. I have no that's, no. Memory I think that's, that's the Summer Slam. I wish You died in the womb. Uh, oh, was that, that that's between Bellas? The Bellas. Yeah, that's between the Bellas. Anyway, so, but Stephanie was manipulating Nicholas. This was this is the Summer Slam 2014. They had a pretty good match, you know for people being... Okay, being okay I do I think, kind of vaguely remember the, the,
3: the... I do kind of vaguely remember the match, but... Um, yeah. It's... That'll uh, be, you know... That is the last and time... I, and I, honestly, wrestling. all I'll say is I can only imagine what that Booker T, Peter Rosenberg show is going to be like. It's, it's, it's and imagine I will, television. because I will certainly not be watching it.
2: It's going to be compelling television, I'm sure. And and they're going to say many things. Uh, but that, I think that's all we have for this week. We're, we're, we might finish this off before the two hour the two hour timer hits. Uh, any plugs that you have, Jesse?
3: No, just follow me on, on Twitter at Jesse Collins. You'll be able to keep up with all my stuff. I don't, I've been, I've been kind of out of I haven't written anything in, in a few weeks um, now. And uh, co-host the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. We just did our last episode looking at various um, ways that Japanese pro wrestling has influenced the American wrestling in 2022 um, talk about guys going on excursion, the the wave of independent wrestler, like the Japanese wrestlers becoming independent wrestling draws, which I think is kind of fascinating that Minoru Suzuki is now like a, a very prominent independent American wrestler in addition to his role in Japan. You're starting to see more of those, starting to see like Joshi performers and other performers start getting a lot of bookings in the United States. So we kind of have a long like 90 minute discussion about that. Um, that's pretty much it. I'm, I'm going to be on Josh Nason's punch out tomorrow afternoon. I'm not sure when that will run. That's up to Josh, but, and I'm not even sure what we're going to talk about. I
2: just agreed to do it. So it's the first ever podcast. I think it was ever on, I think maybe second, something like that. I think maybe just yeah, gave you your big break. Yeah. That's uh and, and here we are today. The rest is history. Uh, please, uh, where is it? There it is. Hit the thumbs up, share, and subscribe to this on YouTube and on your podcast app. Uh, you can subscribe as always. It's it's the 5th, so this is a great time of the month to get the full value. Get get uh, get your full value out of the WrestleNomics Patreon, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, and get TV ratings reports that I put up every every weekday, uh, as well as other information, including you get access to the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet. And we'll be doing a Who's a Draw podcast with Chris Gullo. This coming Wednesday, that will be for subscribers only. So both the video and audio, that's the only way to get it is to become a subscriber through the Patreon. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. Thanks to everybody for the Super Chats today and and for the normal chats as well. Uh, We will talk to you. We'll be back with Chris Gala. I'm I'm going to... uh, Men fences and let him come out and do a workshoot promo next week. So uh, we'll see you, we'll see you then and th- thanks as always to Post Wrestling for being our podcast partner and we will talk to you next time. Bye.
1: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation